2: Clients of ARK Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.
0: Welcome to FYI, ARK's 4 Your innovation podcast. Today, we are with Chip Pausik, co-founder and CEO of 2U, and Kathy Wood, CEO and CIO of ARK Invest. And of course, there's me, Sam Corris, one of ARK's industrial innovation analysts. Let's dive right in, Kathy.
1: Thank you very much. And thank you, Chip, for joining us today. I have a couple of questions to start this off and then I'll hand it off to Sam, our analyst. But I know that you IPO'd in 2014 and just to set the stage for those who are listening, last year your revenues were roughly 575 million. Your market cap is 1.4 billion and your enterprise value is 1.6. Your gross margins last year were 82.8%. So very, very profitable business. And I have been involved with 2 you pre-Sam's joining us. We owned the stock and Sam now is our analyst. So I'd like to start off by asking two questions. The first is the coronavirus, COVID-19 is upon us. This is a crisis causing disruption in all of our lives. We know that disruptive innovation gains traction during tumultuous time, especially technologically-enabled, disruptive innovation. So I'd love to know, Chip, how to you has been set up to handle this crisis, and is there anything you're doing right now to maybe pivot a bit and help serve as a very important bridge between bricks and mortar and online education now?
2: That's an awesome question. So I would say, first of all, thank you, Kathy and Sam, for having me on. Very excited to be here with you today. So I founded the company in 2008, and it was a simple idea at the time. Great universities could thrive in the digital age by bringing the best themselves online. We thought it was very strange that the great schools weren't online. And we really thought that even way back in 2008, that the technology was there to do something great if you had the will of the institution. And so it's been fascinating in this moment of Clearly, the moment for online education is happening right now with a huge wave, in some ways, a forced wave of remote learning to get everybody online urgently. It's been a bit messy and does create an opportunity for schools to experience the online environment. And what we've seen just in the past couple of weeks is really a huge surge in demand for help from us to help them on a go forward basis figure out how to do this in a high quality way. been pretty incredible to watch. I mean, first and foremost, we had to get the company set up to work remotely. We did that very quickly. We're pretty experienced with working remote, but we are a worldwide business. So we had to do a variety of things to get set up pretty quickly to be remote. And once we were really comfortable with where our employees were from a health and safety standpoint for the employees, first and foremost, then we turned to making sure that our business had the greatest continuity possible for the school. So just to back up we power a bunch of programs for our university partners to drive high quality education so high quality online education is something we've done for a very long time and most of it was online we did have a business that was physical boot camps where we teach people technology training and we had to get that online so we did that in about five days that was sort of step two is just get everything we have fully continuous online and then step three Was really starting to reach out to our 73 partners and figure out how to help them during this phase so this has been one of the busiest three weeks of my career to be honest it has been quite extraordinary and we're deploying really a bunch of skinny bundles in some ways you could call them to help the schools that we partner with figuring out how to do this in the highest quality manner in the most urgent fashion because that is indeed where we stand right now i mean what a crazy couple of weeks for the world, just sort of understanding how to deal with what has been really an unprecedented situation for for really the world. But for higher education in particular, you had to go online immediately. And it creates a bunch of challenges for the schools. High quality online education isn't just being in a live room, whether it be a Zoom or a Google Hangout. It's a combination of asynchronous learning that's sort of purpose-built for each experience, supported by live classes, supported by a bunch of faculty training and student support to really power the experience the right way. It's something we're very experienced with, but not something that most schools have done. So it's going to be a fascinating six months. We're doing everything we can to help the schools. And at this point, we've stayed constrained to our partner universities because the demand from our partners has been really intense. We do think over the next six months, we should be able to extend that out beyond our core partner base.
1: To set the stage a little bit more, besides online graduate education, you have moved into online undergrad. Great timing. It was right before the coronavirus. You have short courses through Get Smarter and, of course, boot camp through Trilogy. So Maybe you can give our listeners a sense of who your partners are and also what besides moving into the university space, what has differentiated to you? We know as investors that a number of companies went public in the online education space in the 90s and the early 2000s. And they did not find as much success. They did for a time, but then they went awry. Just if you could give us a contrast between what you're doing and what they did and why you think the outcome for to you is going to be so different.
2: Well, I'd say the first wave of online education was schools that you didn't know. And we really thought that the world was ready for great schools. And we thought the technology was there. We just thought you needed the institutional will of a school like a Georgetown or USC or Harvard. So today we have 73 university partners. They're all excellent, truly on a worldwide basis. And it's something we're very proud of. We consider ourselves a partner, not just a platform. Each of the deployments that we create is built for that individual client to do what they do really well. And we handle a variety of things in many ways behind the scenes. So it's called 2UOS a combination of technology, people, and data to build, deliver, and support world-class online education at scale. And we are doing it at scale today. So just past 215,000 students, 160,000 completers or graduates from our programs, and you've got schools that range from the London School of Economics. Kathy, I was psyched you mentioned our first undergrad program. We did announce earlier this year a program that Perfect Timing launches in the fall, It's our first undergrad, and it's seven different undergraduate degrees from the London School of Economics and University of London in subjects that range from data science to business management to economics. So great opportunity to move into undergrad. We historically had been focused on graduate education. Over time, we built a much broader portfolio of products for our university partners, all with the university at the center. So degrees that range from MBAs to I would say a bunch of degrees that people don't think you can do online. So doctor of physical therapy, physician assistant. I mean, the Yale Physician Assistant Program is the only online physician assistant program today, the only fully online program. And I feel like that program's kind of at the intersection of the entire crisis. I mean, physician assistants are desperately needed in the world today, even more so than they were even a couple of months ago because of COVID. And you've got this incredible institution, Yale, behind a fully online program the programs that have something like a midwifery degree or a physician assistant degree where you have to do something physical in the field Two U works with we have a clinical placement team that will place you in a local doctor's office or clinic or mental health clinic depending on what the degree is so you can do your in-person practicums and so that's become a core part of what we offer so you've got a whole different variety of products across a bunch of different needs of the learner the degrees very heavily certified many of them have boards where you have to pass a board when you get done short courses are on the opposite end of the spectrum a 6 to 8 week class where you learn something to drive your skill set into the enterprise or stand out from the crowd so they range from subjects like ai by mit to project management from rice university so a variety of different course ranges in our short course business. And then you go all the way to these heavily certified degrees. Clearly, I think there's a bunch of immediate aspects of COVID, which is just helping the schools deal with this tsunami of remote learning. So we deployed something we called No Back Row Pro, which is training for the faculty. Many of these faculty have never taught in a live session like we're in right now on this podcast. And so The content expert, of course, is the faculty, but being able to teach effectively in this environment is something that we've gotten very good at, and so we're rolling out the Snowback Rope Pro interface. That kind of demand right now is real, but you start getting into the future and where this goes, and we do think this will cause, over time, a demand shift to online education. We do. Once you experience it, if you can get something in this convenient format that is as good or better than the campus, it starts to be very appealing to people because you can stay employed. Why should you pick up your life, quit your job, and move to attend if you could get everything you were gonna get in the online environment? So we do think that over time,
0: this will put a sort of greater spotlight on high-quality online options. I think that's a super interesting point. I have a lot of friends who are getting their PhDs right now, and you're never really taught how to lecture And so this is an interesting opportunity, providing that time to reflect on, actually, how do you want to present? And I think going back six years, went through your transcripts, and one of the biggest things is the stigma against online education. You're on the front lines with everyone who's been forced to go online. What are some of the things you're hearing from teachers who were very opposed to it, but now out of necessity are forced to do it? What's their reaction like? I think in general,
2: more positive than negative. What I would say is Having to do it as urgently as higher ed did is not a win for anybody, it's very difficult. So as I said, a bit messy in the beginning, but I think most faculty, when they start realizing how intimate one can experience this with your students and that dialogue you can have with students in a Zoom is real. What's tough about it is the way you'd really want it to work is you want to flip the lecture. So what that means is you record the lecture ahead of time, record and do it in the most interactive format possible, because you can do things online that you can't do in a lecture hall. And then when you come to your pre-described class, when you're in class, you actually have this moment where you're actually having a higher order discussion of what you would have learned the week before. So our hashtag no back row came from this notion that there is no back row once you go online and you do it the right way, because you know immediately if somebody doesn't come to class and having done their work because you're in it altogether. together. If you've got a small average class size, you can really have intense discussions in the classroom. Now, that's not what's really happening right now. What's happening right now is this mass movement from teaching in a classroom directly to the online environment. And Sam, what I'd say is we've heard from a lot of our partners, it's been tough. But I have to say, I don't agree with the skeptics or the cynics that have given higher ed grief for being sort of unprepared. I think it's really unfair. How prepared was the NBA for canceling all of its games? This has never happened before. And so I think the fact that they were able to move as quickly as they did is impressive. I would say the opportunity for a company like 2U becomes, well, now that you're there, how do you do it well? And it's not just about throwing up a live room. It's really about a thoughtful experience from a pedagogy standpoint of like, how do you teach most effectively? So your comment about the PhDs, that's very real. Learning how to do this with the right combination of, of course, the right tech, but the right support and the right training is important. So our partners know they can turn to us to not just get the training, but also the support over time for both the students and the faculty. So when something's going wrong, you're well prepared for it. One of the reasons why I haven't had a lot of sleep over the last three weeks is we do feel a tremendous amount of responsibility, not just to help our partners, but our company in some ways is at the epicenter of a massive seismic change in higher ed, and we need to deliver it this time. So we've got a whole bunch of innovations coming out. I love Kathy's opening note that necessity does drive innovation, and it's not just from within higher ed more broadly, but even inside of 2U, I sent out a note on Saturday. I got my first eight hours sleep Friday night. And the reason I sent out a note on Saturday, this past Saturday, was it was the 28th of March. And that was the six year anniversary of our IPO. And I woke up and I didn't even realize it was the 28th of March. And I woke up and I had a bunch of texts from people because they were getting, you know, those Facebook memories you get where it pops up. And so a bunch of people were texting me with the memory of the IPO. And I wrote a note to the company in which I said, the reason I slept last night is for the first time in our three week period, I became just super convinced that we have a real clarity of purpose around our plan in the short term of what we're doing to really be there not just for our partners, but be there for ourselves at this moment of incredible change in higher ed. And you know, in some ways, even though we're all remote, 4,000 full-time employees all over the world, I feel like we're like this dispersed beehive of activity. I feel like we're a 4,000-person startup right now. And that, to me, is awesome. And You know, and honestly, that's much more important than celebrating a six-year anniversary of an IPO. So, that I mean, it was a little too long. It just felt so good in terms of what the company is doing to drive both innovation and support our clients. It's a great opportunity for the company, is the reality.
1: Yeah, that's not too long. We're hearing it from the heart and the mind and the soul. So it's great. Thank you.
0: It's amazing to hear how powerful to you is at this moment of change. I think if we take a step back, it's interesting to look at the history, as Kathy brought up more recently, but the partnership with London School of Economics, correspondence and remote learning has taken place for hundreds of years, started with mail, evolved to radio, evolved to television. Then in the 90s, you had these companies coming out for-profit education. You started to have course management software in the early 2000s. We heard from you, 2 you started because where are the good schools? Where are the schools I've heard of online? But just from 2008 till now, a ton has changed. So how has 2 you evolved with the evolving technology and how have you shifted from that founding to where you are today? Well, you have to keep improving all aspects of what you deliver. So one of the things we
2: provide is a bundled service where we also provide the investment for the schools. And I have to say, I think that's going to become even more important over the next year, given the impact financially to institutions. COVID is having and will have a pretty profound impact on what happens financially to the schools. And you know, as you start thinking about meeting society's needs, we're focused right now on building a company that meets the critical pain points for society right now in higher ed. And one of those we think is sustainability. If you're meeting the needs of society through offering products across a variety of different sort of price points and different lengths, they need to be high quality. They need to be blended and connected. They need to be affordable. They need to be relevant and they need to be sustainable. Well, sustainability, I would say, is the system's got to work. And part of what we bring to the table is we help get these programs off the ground with funding, and then we share tuition revenue over time. So we do think that's something that'll become even more important over the next year, given the needs in higher ed. Obviously, the technology people and data needs to continue to improve underneath the 2 system. We're committed to doing that on a continual basis. You mentioned Correspondence programs. I mean, what's fascinating is the London School of Economics undergrad program that we're launching actually started as a correspondence course. And they had 13,000 people all over the world in this program. And so we see that as we transition it online as a great opportunity for both us and LSE to meet the needs of society by offering a more sort of approachable format for students. And we think our quality will help drive, improve retention in that program, and ultimately, that's why LSC made the decision to go with us. So you will see too. You continue to evolve past just the bundled service revenue model. So sharing revenue with our partners on programs that we do investments is important, but we've got a variety of things in place now to drive other parts of the business over time, and we think that there are great opportunities in non-revenue share parts of the business, but Candidly, just in the last two weeks, it's become evident that our schools are going to need more investment from 2U in new programs. So there is a lot to do. I will tell you that much. We have no shortage of opportunity, but we obviously have to get
0: everybody through the immediacy of this crisis. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting, right, you know, the investment and helping the school with the funding from that side. But I also think it's interesting when you're talking about it and what you're doing to bend the cost curve for the students. Could you go into some of that as well? So we have a couple of things. We made an announcement last
2: week that for the first time we have one of our great partners actually pulled back tuition directly in a nursing program, which right now is very, very relevant. We need more high-quality nurses and not only dropped the tuition 14%, but then added on top of it a $10,000 scholarship, bringing the net cost down by somewhere between twenty dollars and $24,000, depending on the program. So really substantial tuition decrease to the students. And I would say that's in large part due to the fact that we're getting the benefits scale across our business. And then the other thing that we're doing is rolling out a deferred tuition plan, which allows students to defer 50% of the cost, so 50% of the tuition cost, until after they graduate and are employed, And they do it through an income share, but with no interest. So, a lot of the income share agreements have a multiplier that actually is effectively a quite expensive form of interest. In our case, no interest, so totally interest free. And what I like about the deferred tuition plan, it aligns our programs with career outcomes because basically somebody has to be in a job and employed before they start paying it back. So, in both cases, whether it be a direct hit on tuition or the deferred tuition plan, we do think that our company we're able, because of our scale, to pull back the cost curve. And I mentioned earlier, over time it's really critical that affordability be something that a company like two you is focused on. I would also say accessibility needs to be something high quality for all. So I'm also very proud of the fact that forty six percent of the people in our boot camps are people of color and thirty percent of the people in our boot camps don't have a bachelor's degree. So I feel like we're offering high quality of education to a much broader universe of folks.
1: May I just ask a question about this pricing and volume? We see all the time when with technology that cutting the price increases the demand. Certainly that will be true for education as well. And online is the ramp to that. Whereas bricks and mortar were just continuous cost increases ad infinitum.
2: You know, it's interesting. You need to have sustainability So it's clear that online can bring down the cost and get it to a point that is more affordable. But what's also interesting is because we share revenue with our university partners, there are times where people have a misconception that we want the prices to go up. And to your point, Kathy, these are not inelastic goods. As the price goes up, demand comes down and we pay the marketing expense. So because of that, there's actually clarity on the company side that Having more affordable prices drives higher demand. So just because we share revenue does not mean we want the price to keep going up as evidenced by Simmons Nursing bringing down the pricing. Simmons University's nursing program price decrease was something that I thought was really exciting for us to be able to talk about because it's not just good for the world, it's good for business.
1: And it would also, it taxes your marketing spending less.
0: That's right, no doubt. And I think it's super interesting. You frame it as bending the curve bending the cost curve or going back in time. Obviously, that's my job is to look at those numbers and see where it shows up. But it was very interesting after that was claimed at Analyst Day, went and looked at the average tuition for a bunch of different types of schools. And the reduction that Simmons is doing is pretty much bringing tuition back to where it was like 20 years ago. We should
2: really be able to make a difference across the portfolio. Now, this is a huge challenge for all of higher ed, so it's not easy to do. But we're in this conversation across our university partner set right now in many different places. So we're excited about the potential. Kind of interesting, though, I would say, stepping back, another misconception about 2U is the debt burden on students. And one of the things I was pretty excited about in the Gallup survey, you might have seen that we put out, we did a study with Gallup that I feel like should put to rest the notion that online education can't be as good as campus education, because honestly, across the board, We were able to benchmark students that are in 2 u back programs against the national benchmarks and for grad school. And it was pretty awesome. And one of the things that really kind of blew me away was almost double the rate students were progressing through school, finishing within two years at like 89% versus 56%. More than double the number of students were employed while they were in school. So both of those factors those come together and just make a more productive society because you're basically turning the wheel faster. People are getting through faster. And what that means is people have less debt. So we actually think that even before you get to attacking tuition directly, just offering this format does make it all more productive because you can stay employed.
0: You can finish faster. So those have really solid impacts for society overall. I thought that was pretty shocking, that statistic. I think it was 84% of alumni worked full-time through their course. That's right. Which is just remarkable. And then on that front, one of the reasons we actually hold to you is because of the need of retraining and education and not that automation is going to decrease the number of jobs, right? We've done the work and it's actually going to create more jobs, but it's going to create this huge need to retrain people and i think at the analyst day again this was the second time you came out and explicitly said some of the enterprise opportunities that are out there could you go into more detail on that we do
2: think when you look at our short courses and our boot camps we think that there's a big enterprise opportunity for the company so short courses we're selling those to the enterprise as learning credits where a company can buy the courses and offer them to their employees and so if you look at the portfolio, not only great universities, but a ton of different courses that are relevant to the enterprise, whether it be blockchain or AI or even something like project management or diversity training. So, a bunch of different relevant courses. And then in the bootcamp side of the business, we've been able to create partnerships with companies like Tech Systems and Cognizant to use our bootcamps as entry level hiring opportunities. So, we actually bring people into the boot camps that are coming in with the potential of being hired by a company like Cognizant to become a coder. There's a huge shortage of high quality technologists for technology jobs. So that's something that we think is an opportunity going forward. I do think that technology training is also a place where the university partner has historically had a harder time staying current. And so we acquired Trilogy last year to really boost our STEM offerings, and you will see a continued rollout of more STEM offerings from 2U, like our new FinTech bootcamp, which is rolling out right now. So it's not even obvious where you would go to study FinTech. So these types of high-demand subjects, working with great universities to deploy it, we think that's a great opportunity long-term for the company. And then, I guess,
0: throwing on our brainstorm hats here, super long-term what do you see as, I don't know, 25 years from now, online education, what does it look like? Some people think that it'll be similar to professional sports or even comparing it to the Peloton idea where if you're the best professor in the world, there's no reason you should only teach 200 students at a time. You should be able to teach 10,000 students at a time. Where do you kind of see the long-term vision for online education? You won't even be able to call it online education then. You'll just be calling it higher education.
2: The reality is like it will all be blended and connected in a seamless fashion. I do think that we're seeing all of that convergence today. And if you look at COVID, I mean, it just happened immediately and urgently in a way that I think will have pretty profound impact. You won't have to go out 25 years. I think you go out five, six years and you will see a much more blended and connected society. Now, you are correct that some professors clearly will be able to make a continued sort of name for themselves. But we happen to be believers in the power of the great university. Our schools have stood the test of time, the test of war, the test of pandemics, candidly, before this. They are some of the most important institutions that humans have ever created. From a brand standpoint, the best brands in the world have been around for 20, 30, 50, in some cases Coca-Cola, 100 years the reality is oxford's been around since 1096 you know it's like the church and oxford so i do think the brands will be here 25 years from now we happen to be believers in the power of like the great education experiences of your life are about being part of something bigger and joining one of these communities we think is a real thing your alma maters are part of your life in a meaningful way Now, making them more accessible, making them more affordable, we think is pretty critical. And that opens a great door for a company like 2U. But we do think the great university will be here 25 years from now.
1: When you did your IPO, you were US focused. That's right. And graduate courses. So now you're undergrad, you've got the shorter courses, the boot camp, and you're involved in institutions today that have always had a global presence. LSE is a very good example of that. So really what you've done in the last six years is you've gone from a U.S. focus to a global institution. Can you talk about how you are reaching the rest of the globe? Is it just through the LSEs and the other name schools like that? How are you seeing your courses activated in the rest of the world?
2: You're correct, Kathy. We took a cautious approach to it for a long time. We were entirely in the United States and then took our first step to the UK and then made a jump to South Africa with an acquisition of a company called Get Smarter. that became our short course business. Now today it's fully integrated and GetSmarter.com is a great site to go to to look at all the different courses from institutions all over the planet demand for the short courses is very very big and it's abroad and what i would say is we're finding very real time like right now interestingly instead of binging tiger king i don't know if you guys have watched tiger king on netflix insane children. <laughs> what have you seen it
1: no my daughter said yes this is great my son said this is terrible but anyway. oh
2: my god i think you got to watch it for what it's worth but instead of binging tiger king the reality is right now is a great time for people to take a short course to take advantage of some time while they're quarantined and we found that right when the outbreak started happening we found that people were distracted but this past week our short course business had a really good week so we're starting to see people go after the short course now that's a worldwide audience so two of the biggest markets for the short courses are singapore and hong kong it's definitely all over the world on our degree side We've been careful, but as you mentioned, the LSE undergrad program is our first undergrad, and that's with the London School of Economics and University of London. We have a couple of other offerings in the UK with UCL, great school in the United Kingdom. We have short courses with Oxford, Cambridge. We have MBA with Monterey Tech in Mexico, and we have boot camps in Australia, and you'll see us over time expand our degree sets in Australia as well. So It's a big world. Now we have to be careful in terms of our rollout because we don't want to try to do too much too quickly, but it is clearly a worldwide opportunity.
1: I just have one last question. I know there is or was an activist investor involved with 2U. I noticed that the organization decided not to take a board seat, if I'm right. Do you feel, now that there is so much open space for you now, given how obvious online education is after this COVID crisis, do you think you have the latitude to invest aggressively now to capitalize on these opportunities?
2: What I would say is we started the company 12 years ago. And we really, last year, started focusing the company on getting the free cash flow and sort of driving the company to that free cash flow positive moment, which we think is an important step 12 years in. I mean, you know, this year we'll do, we've got it to well over 700 million in revenues. The company's not a small company anymore, but we thought that getting to that free cash flow positive is a really important step for the company and are still focused on that. With that said, obviously, as we cross that, there's plenty of opportunity for the company. And we do think that that just increased here in the last three weeks, not decreased. So we're focused on doing it the right way and on balancing the sort of drive of revenue growth with making the best decisions we can as to how to fund each individual program and drive the right return on invested capital for us and for the shareholders. But you are entirely right that there is a very big opportunity in front of the company. So we're excited to do our best to steward the company through this. And obviously, we continue to grow. I mean, One of the odd things about where we are in the market is, you know, we're still growing at a faster rate than anybody in our space. So the company has no shortage of growth opportunities. Doing it in a way that sort of balances profitability and growth, we think at this stage of existence is really important.
0: On that note, talking about how big this opportunity is, it's a global opportunity. We got the revenue numbers from Kathy at the start, but just to frame it, I don't think people necessarily appreciate how much money goes into. One, online education already, but then, as you said, five to six years from now, it'll just be called higher education. And how much money goes into higher education? Worldwide, it's in the trillions. It's so big that when you
2: end up talking about TAM, people can kind of zone out because the numbers are so large. The U.S. alone, graduate education is $80 billion, Overall, higher education, $550 billion. That's just in the U.S. I mean, the numbers are so big. Something like 2% of it's digitized. I and mean, that's the stunning thing. So I think that the opportunity in front of the company is very large. I thought what was also notable in our Investor Day here last week is there's a research firm that sort of covers higher ed that does a survey all the time of higher ed leaders and asks them whether or not disruption is imminent. And they do the survey twice a year, and they do it in March and September, and they did it last year in March and September, and last year, pretty much an equal number of people. Said that they thought disruption was imminent. It was a pretty small percentage. And if you look at the difference between September and when they just deployed the survey, so they literally just deployed the survey, it went off the charts. Like immediately, higher ed leaders perceived us to be in a moment of disruption. So I think your comments at the beginning of the podcast were totally right, Kathy. This is a moment where necessity is driving innovation and higher ed leaders are seeing it. So we think that that creates an opportunity for the company first to do right by higher ed, and second to do well for all of our stakeholders. And you know, I feel very blessed to be running a company that not only doesn't have a problem because of this, but has an opportunity. And we have to make sure that we're first and foremost focused on supporting our partners. But we are a company that needs to deliver on what's in front of us right now. And so, I feel a responsibility intensely to do that. And I'm feeling really great about what the
0: company's done over the last three weeks. Wow. Chip, thank you so much for being on. Before we sign off, some quick questions. We've been talking about brands a lot. What's your favorite brand?
2: Well, I mean, I can't say my university partner. So I became a Tar Heel in a 2U Back program. So from a university partner perspective, a Tar Heel. But I would say, if you look at me on social media, I am pretty obsessed with the Miami Dolphins. I am a huge, huge fan. I grew up in South Florida. And so I go all into what I do. So in my life, it's kind of my family to you and the Miami Dolphins. Like that's my entire (laughs) worldview. So I go to every home game. I head down to South Florida to go to every home Miami Dolphins game and have become a very passionate fan and a passionate supporter of the Dolphins. So I guess from a brand perspective, I'd have to go with fins up, Sam, fins up.
0: Nice. And then you graduated through a two MBA program. Are you adding any short courses?
2: Yes, I'm definitely going to take the AI short course. I think that is a really useful for me as CEO. You know, we're using machine learning and AI across the business in a variety of ways. And having a better, fuller understanding of it from a management perspective, I think would be really useful. I haven't taken it yet. We rolled out a two tuition benefit to our employees where you can take the short courses for free. So working on it. But I haven't done it yet. Been a little busy here this last three weeks.
0: I've heard. And then I think we got Tiger King as the Netflix recommendation. What about favorite book? I just read Bad Blood about Theranos. It blew me away. It was like a page turner.
2: My favorite book ever, Watership Down. So that's my number one. Bit of a classic. Love it. Even though it's about rabbits. I mean, it's about rabbits, but it's really not about rabbits. It's a fantasy. I love Lord of the Rings also. So I'm into that kind of stuff, but I'd say Watership Down.
0: Great. Thank you so much for joining us today, Chip.
1: Thank you, Chip.
2: Great to be here, guys. No back row. Hashtag no back row. No back row.
1: Hashtag
0: no back row.
2: ARC believes that the information presented is accurate and was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information, and such information may be subject to change without notice from ARC. Historical results
0: are not indications of future results.